Uh, I am always amazed at uh, every once in a while, I look down and go, wow, why does that person follow me on Twitter? <laughs> I got uh, a whole bunch of new followers right? with my David Tepper stuff. Right, of, of course you did. <laughs> uh, and uh, I had a conversation with my friend David Teal, who works in uh, Virginia, uh, the, uh, the dean of ACC uh, reporters, and I asked him after the Florida State uh, lawsuit, was made public, even though the ACC beat them to it. Uh, I, I, I texted David. I said, Dave, who would be a good guy to talk to? Who do you, who do you talk to? He goes, well, I don't know, but uh, you should just read what this guy, Mitt Winter, has to say. And I've been following, I've followed Mitt Winter for a while, and it's just very cool. And here he is, uh, Mitt Winter, sports attorney, uh, NIL attorney, and I believe an expert in this field, and he joins us. On the Adam Gold Show. Your mistake. You followed me on Twitter. Uh, thank you very much. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Happy New Year to you as well. All right, let me... Uh, I, this is the thing that really, uh, to me, is... I'm not sure why we haven't had it yet. Uh, it seems, I think, in the mind of Florida State, pretty simple. Uh, the grant of rights is, I guess, illegal. They didn't say unconstitutional, but... Uh, and they want out. Where uh, where do you stand on their demand? That's a good question. Um, it's sort of an unprecedented situation. No one's ever challenged a conference grant of rights agreement like this before. So I think it's really hard to you know, handicap how it's all going to turn out. Um, they make some interesting arguments, you know, at a base level, kind of as you touched on, they're basically saying, yeah, we signed this document. We know what it says. Despite that, we think this agreement that we signed is not enforceable for various reasons. They say it violates uh, Florida antitrust law, that it's an unenforceable penalty. Um, they even say it's it's not really a contract at all because they didn't receive, in legal terms, let's call it consideration for entering into the agreement. I think... They just, you know, threw every argument they could think of that might have any chance of success into their complaint. Um, and then on the other side, you have the ACC, who, is, as you noted, beat them to the courthouse by a day, mm-hmm. unbeknownst to everyone, until after Florida State filed their lawsuit, unless you were scanning court dockets. Um, they're saying that Florida State, per the terms of the Grant of Rights Agreement, can't even challenge the enforceability of the agreement. So they're saying you can't challenge it. Florida State's saying, well, it's not an, it's not a valid enforceable agreement, um, which sets up an interesting showdown. And the first question we have is what court's going to hear right. these arguments? Is it going to be the court in North Carolina or the court in Florida? That's going to be a first battle that we have. Do you think it matters? Yeah, I think it definitely matters, um, especially when you're talking about state court, which both of these cases have been filed in. Mm-hmm. Um, there is such a thing in, in a court as home court advantage. Um, I think the judge down in Florida might might be a Florida State alum, if I'm remembering <laughs> sure. correctly. So, you know, subconsciously, that, that could probably have some effect. Um, I don't know who the judge is in North Carolina that got assigned to the ACC's lawsuit, but it always everybody always wants to have home court advantage. In a, in a lawsuit, especially when you're talking about state court. So I think it, it does matter. 
What is the we're talking we're talking with Mitt Winter, sports attorney here uh, at Winter Sports Law on Twitter. If you want to follow NIL uh, issues, also a great follow there. If we have time, we'll get to some of that. Um, the fact that Florida State willingly, and by the way, this was back in what 2016, the grant of rights was agreed to by members of the ACC. The fact that they willingly signed this now, what, seven years ago, what what does that say? How does that impact their ability to legally argue this? I don't think it has a huge effect on it, actually, because they're saying, although we signed it, we signed an agreement that's not enforceable. So the fact that you that you signed something, even though the thing you signed is illegal, which is what they're contending, doesn't matter if you signed it willingly or not. If you sign, if they, if they're declaring it not enforceable, why have, however many schools legal teams looked at this grant of rights, uh, every from every possible angle, and not challenged it sooner? Because it's, despite the number of arguments they have in their complaint, it's not clear that any of those arguments are going to be successful. And to get involved in litigation like this with ACC is going to be, number one, costly. Number two, it's going to damage or or kill the relationship between your school and the conference and your other conference members. Um, And if you're going to do something like this, it would probably make sense to do it if you know you have a guaranteed home at their conference Mm -hmm. after you go through this process. And I don't think any of the current ACC schools have gotten far enough down conversations with other conferences to have that any assurance like that, um, which is I'm sure Florida State, if they're able to get out of the grant of rights agreements, agreement will find a home. But I don't know if currently if they were to, able to get out tomorrow, if they would have a home. Uh, Mitt Winter is joining us here. He's a sports attorney uh, here on the Adam Gold Show. Are would the Big Ten or the SEC the only two? It wouldn't make any sense for Florida State to beg out of the ACC to go to the Big Twelve. It would not improve their financial stake. Um, but would um, would the Big Ten or the SEC be in any legal jeopardy if they then invited uh, Florida State to their league? Uh. So in all this conference realignment stuff, people always make claims of of an of a legal claim that's called tortious interference. Mm-hmm. Basically, when there's a contract between two parties, if you're a third party and you come in and you induce one party to breach their agreement, you can be held liable for that. Um, I doubt in this situation if Florida State is able to get out of the grant of rights agreement and go to the Big Ten or the SEC. I doubt the ACC is going to come in and accuse one of those two conferences of inducing Florida State to to leave the ACC and breach its agreement with the ACC. Um, number one, it probably wouldn't be successful if Florida State is successful in its arguments that the mm-hmm. Grant of Rights Agreement isn't valid. Um, it's also a hard claim to prove. You know, generally the way it works in the conference realignment situations, there's no invite extended until 
the conference, the other school has already reached out to the other conference and said, right. hey, we would like to become a member, which eliminates that tortious interference argument. But it does get thrown around a lot in conference realignment situations. But I, um, I can't think of a situation where another conference has sued a different conference in that context. No, because in, in most cases, when we have had these things happen, um, the the schools aren't leaving uh, until the end of their current deals, right? Southern Cal and UCLA uh, weren't going to leave until the end of the Pac-12 uh, agreement. Same thing with Texas and Oklahoma, although they were allowed out, I believe, a year early uh, from the existing deals because that was a negotiated uh, exit strat or exit settlement uh, with the Big 12. This is certainly would be a hostile maneuver by Florida State is ultimately, do you think, their goal to simply negotiate uh, an exit from the ACC? And uh, I have a follow-up to that, but so let's, let's just handle that first part. You think they're just trying to negotiate a number here? I think so. I mean, obviously, they would love it if a court said the grant of rights agreement is not enforceable. I think realistically, they think that's probably a long shot. Right. And so I think they're hoping that by starting this process, filing this lawsuit, that it brings the ACC to the table and they're able to work out some sort of agreement. Um, sort of like you saw with Oklahoma and Texas working out an agreement to leave the Big 12 a year early. Obviously, this is a little different situation because the grant of rights agreement goes till 2036, which <laughs> is a lot longer than Oklahoma and Texas had left on theirs with the Big 12. And I also think another factor is the ACC just saw what happened with the Pac-12. No one thought the Pac-12 would cease to exist as a conference until it happened. And I said, I think with, with seeing that, the ACC is probably going to fight a little bit harder with Florida State than they otherwise might have, just because I think they know if they let Florida State out, could start a domino effect of some other school saying, well, they did it. Right. We're going to do it too. Then the ACC, you know, could be on shaky ground as a conference and that they obviously don't want that to happen. If the ACC negotiates a, uh, essentially an exit for Florida state, does it just ultimately open the door for other? And I would even argue more attractive to the big 10 and possibly the SEC schools, North Carolina, Duke, Virginia, maybe Clemson, does it open the door for them to also leave? I think so, uh, at least to start that that process. Um, I mean, you already touched on it. Some other schools have already, you know, talked about getting out of the grants to right agreement, examined it, so they've thought about it. They just haven't taken the plunge like, like Florida State has now. And so Florida State's able to get out. It's probably going to increase their willingness to pursue that as well. All right, final thing about this, and I want to ask you an NIL question before we let Mitt Winter go. Uh, for, for those people who don't know, grant of rights, basically uh, all schools grant their media rights to the league to do what they want with uh, until the uh, culmination of the 2036, uh, I guess, 2035-36 academic season. Um, and what that means is that if Florida State were to end up in another league, that media rights money would go back to the ACC. That's what the grant of rights says. So considering that we've got what 13 years 13 seasons between now and then if florida state does negotiate their way out is it a minimum of 
half a billion dollars uh, if you're the ACC? Well, I mean, you could certainly make it painful to the point where there's no way to recover from that. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I, I don't know what the exact number would be if I'm the ACC, but it would be in the hundreds of millions of dollars for sure. And I, I think that's one reason you've seen some some talk out there that Florida State might take some private equity money sure. to make this happen. And, you know, people have been talking about private equity getting into college sports for a while, and they're definitely interested in doing it. And so maybe we'll see it happen here. Hey, the public investment fund, they, they haven't done their deal with the PGA Tour yet. Uh, maybe we can get uh, Florida State can be bankrolled by by uh, by them. Uh, all right, real. Uh, it's it's just been my running joke. I I tried to convince Jim Phillips, uh, the ACC commissioner at Operation Football this year, live ACC football. Who's gonna Who's gonna say no uh, with all the money? It's because all it's about is money. Uh, it was mm-hmm. a joke. I don't know if it's probably in poor taste. Um, all right, real real quick because we have all these opt outs, and you're you're an NIL guy. We have all these opt-outs from the bowl games, and there are, I think, two solutions. One is to change the bowl calendar to make it maybe the bre- the beginning of a season as opposed to the end of a season, although that's not great either. Um, mm-hmm. how, how far would collective bargaining among the schools and the players go to at least addressing, I don't know about solving, but addressing so many of the issues? Yeah, if we're talking about collective bargaining, and in that scenario, the athletes would be employees of either schools or or their team. Uh, there are certain scenarios where teams might break off from the university but still be affiliated with the university, and the athletes could be employees of those entities. Um, in that in that situation, they're going to have an employment contract that says, "Here's what you have to do under the terms of your employment contract. If you don't fulfill those terms." Here are the consequences. Mm-hmm. And I, I think in a situation like that, it could probably uh, help in some, some of the opt-out things because guys wouldn't be getting paid, theoretically, some of the, the money they're owed under their employment contract if they don't play in the bowl games. Or they could be forfeiting a big bonus that they other, otherwise would get if they're playing in a bowl game. Um, kind of on that same note, one potential way short of collective bargaining and employment status is to let the bulls pay bonuses uh to the athletes if they play in the game that that could probably help as well yeah i don't i don't know that there's any amount of money that you can convince me to play in the uh the mayonnaise bowl uh <laughs> if i'm gonna be a first or second you know a first or second day pick sure. in the nfl draft but uh yeah there those are there's a lot of players beyond that uh who opt out of bowl games mitt winner uh, at Winter Sports Law on Twitter. I appreciate your time, sir. Uh, it's good to make the connection. Uh, hopefully, you, you weren't too uh, put off by all of this. We'll do it again. Yeah, thanks for having me on anytime. Love talking about this stuff. So feel free to reach out again. You got it. Thank you very much, sir. Appreciate it.